Today, our topic is on faith. Someone say faith. 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 So we have five lessons that we're going to be speaking on, on faith to strengthen, to challenge, and to encourage us. So get a notepad ready, get ready to take notes. I'm going to introduce our speakers real quick as we dive in. We have Pastor Ty Barker, him and his wife, Debbie, do an incredible job leading our team pastors and men's and women's discipleship. And then we have Pastor Amy Farquhar, who's over our kids ministry and helps lead our next gen and John Doherty, who's a creative genius, helps with all of our productions and our media department and is so talented. And then Pastor Iman Marklin, her and her husband, Stefan, lead our Victory North, and we're honored to have her today as well. So here we go, five lessons on faith. I'm going to invite Pastor Iman up to kick it off. Come on, who's excited about the word this morning? Listen, we're excited, and God is speaking, and he is moving. I want you to open up your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 5, verse 25. Amen? You know, there's something about a desperate situation that can cause you to either drown in fear or activate a flow of faith. Somebody say, a flow of faith. Has anybody been in a desperate situation before? I believe that we all have. And we've all faced that crossroads. And today I want to share with you about a woman who made a decision about which way she would go at that crossroads of drowning in fear or activating a flow of faith. This woman in Mark chapter 5 is a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years. The Bible says that she suffered greatly at the hands of many physicians, and yet her situation did not get better. It actually grew worse. She was known as unclean, according to the Levitical laws at the time. She was not able to converse and be in community the way that we're sitting today, she was isolated. She was decreasing in her strength with every day of these 12 years. And it's interesting that things began to change in her life. Although she was drained of her strength and she was named as unclean, there was something like a, a drowning in a flow of desperation and disappointment and disease that was happening in her life, and yet things began to change. Things began to change in her life when she heard about Jesus. I don't know about you, but I've been in situations before where I felt like I was drowning in seasons of desperation or feeling mentally like I was drowning in my own thoughts and feeling defeated and second-guessing myself, and yet... There's something powerful that happens when we hear about Jesus and what he's able to do. And it says in scripture that she heard the reports concerning Jesus and that she came up behind him in the throng and in the crowd and touched the hem of his garment. For she kept saying to herself, if I only touch his garments, I shall be restored to health. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing.
hearing and hearing by the word. And so instead of her focusing on a flow of her situation and what she was walking through, she began to step into a flow of faith. Instead of counting her losses, she began to count her possibilities. She began to focus her faith not on what had happened to her, but on what would happen if she sets her feet in motion towards the only physician that could truly heal her. So what we see with this woman is that she had three characteristics. The first one is that she had faith. She began to shift her thoughts away from her flow of desperation and activate a flow of expectation and faith for what God could do. The flow of faith within her heart became greater than the flow of blood in her body. And not only was that flow something that she thought about, it was something that she focused on. The second thing here that we see with her is that she was focused. She had focused faith. She laser focused her faith on Jesus, on a point of contact, and on an expected end. She wasn't worried about who was around her. She was focused on Jesus. And she took steps to get to him and wasn't waiting for, her to get, for him to get to her. How many times are we waiting so we think for Jesus to come our way and yet he's saying, if you would get to me, you're gonna activate the power that's available to you. The third thing is that she had fervency. She wasn't wishing for a healing. She was walking towards the healing. She didn't stop until she pressed her way through the crowd and touched Jesus' garment. Mark 5, 29 says, and when she did touch Jesus, that immediately, somebody say immediately, immediately. her flow of blood was dried up at the source and suddenly she felt in her body that she was healed of her distressing ailment. In other words, immediately she felt her flow change. Here's what I want you to see. The flow of her faith activated the flow of power in Jesus that immediately stopped the flow in her body. In other words, her faith flipped the flow. Come on, somebody catch it today. She went from a flow of disease and desperation into a flow of healing and power. Her faith activated a flow that both she and Jesus could feel. In verse 30, we see that Jesus felt power coming out of it, and he stopped, and he said, who touched me? I felt virtue come out. The disciples said, what do you mean, who touched you? We're in a crowd full of people that are pressing you. How can you ask who touched you? But how many of you know that there's a difference between a crowd that is pressing and a person of faith that is touching Jesus. We can be in a crowd of church and not necessarily be touching Jesus. The woman trembled and came forward to confess the whole truth of what happened. Jesus said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be continually healed and freed from your distressing bodily disease. God called her out not to shame her, but to acknowledge her. 
and to show her who she is and the power that was connected to her faith. Here's the point of what I want to tell you today. Your faith has the power to flip the flow. Faith releases a flow of God's power in your life. In other words, faith flips the flow. Come on, somebody say it with me. Faith flips the flow. One more time. Faith flips the flow. The culture talks about flipping a switch. The kingdom talks about flipping a flow. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Once you look at your neighbor, say my faith flipped the flow. Some people may have known you when you were drowning in your issue, but now I flipped the flow. I'm walking in faith. I'm focused on Jesus. I've seen him flip a flow in my life. In closing, God's power is always active. But your faith can activate his power in your life. Now is the time for your faith to flip the flow. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's give it up for Pastor Iman. Flip the flow. You should have dropped the mic after that. Come on, that was an awesome word. The one thing that I love is that, you know, every single one of these people up here is that they're living what they are saying, you know? For me, my biggest struggle with faith is um, this scripture, which is kind of like a straight no chaser. It's a hard pill to swallow. It is James 1.3. It says this, testing of our faith produces. Exactly. You guys are muted too. You don't like it either. That is the worst. That's the one thing I don't like to be tested in. I'm always like, don't put me down for cardio. You know what I mean? Like perseverance is something that is only produced through testing. You know, I, I, have, I have an opportunity that I'm, I'm really grateful for, but I get to work part-time as a strength coach with some athletes, junior high, elementary through high school. And um, <laughs> we work in the weight room and there's weightlifting. And the one thing that the dudes always want to do is that they always want to max out. I want to max out. They want to see how much weight they can do, you know? But the problem is, is that some of their bodies are not ready to carry the weight that they're going to be under. Many times, things that we pray for, we don't have the structure to carry. So, what does God have to do to mature our faith? After all, as a believer, our goal is not comfort, our goal is growth. And so faith has to be matured. There's a structure that has to be built within us. And it is not, easy, but it's worth it. And so that is sometimes like, it's kind of like in Jesus in the Bible when he is standing on one side of the shore and he goes, let us cross to the other side. And we're like, woo, this is the beginning of something new, of something fresh. And I love it. But we, uh, the shore is not where your faith is being tested. It's in the, the middle that's where the storm comes. But Jesus is there all along. He's just chilling asleep because he's like, this is what is producing a new level of faith. Within this strength training, there's a picture of this football player. He's holding this position. Um, so within strength training, there is this 
certain program, and um, it is actually where you take a weight and you hold it. So right here, this guy, he's holding this position. Now, this type of training is called time under tension. And it's not fun because you actually hold in that position. One 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000, four 1,000, up, and then you finally come up. You can't do as much weight. But it's not necessarily the mirrors, uh, it's not necessarily the muscles that you see in the mirror that are being built. It's not the things that people see on Instagram or what you show people, you know. It is the small ligaments and tendons that hold the larger muscles together that are being strengthened. And that's what breaks plateaus. That's what makes you get new PRs, personal records. It actually helps and inhibits injury. Anytime we try to force a new max out, sometimes we can actually hurt ourselves and hurt others. If it is forced, it is not from God. Relationships, opportunities, career, acquisitions. If it is forced, you can tell it's not from God. Because favor is not forced, it rests. Favor rests. And all of this is producing and maturing our faith. And here's the great thing is that whenever you feel like giving up, Isaiah 40, 31, it says this, those who, those who wait upon the Lord, let's call this weight training. That he what? He what? He gives you strength. That's literally the purpose of faith. Our symbol for Christianity is a cross, which is a murder device. If we got into this belief thinking that it was going to be easy, we signed up for the wrong religion. <laughs> but there is something that, you see, God prepares us for what he has prepared for us. There's a version of yourself that you've never met before, and it's on the other end of waiting. I close with this. John 2, this is the first miracle that Jesus did. And, you know, his mom comes up. She says, there's no more wine at the wedding. Do something. And he's like, it's not my, it's not my time yet. But here's the thing. This is the important thing that you need to know about this first miracle. I want us to look underneath the miracle. And I actually want you to put yourself as the water. That's weird. So the only people, the, the people at the wedding never knew that Jesus did a miracle. The only people that knew were the servants, the disciples, and Mother Mary. So what does he do is he says, and Mother Mary, she goes, just tell, just whatever he says, do it. So he goes and he doesn't get wine jars. Let's just read John 2. It says this. It says, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Often there's a purifying that needs to happen before your miracle. If you're the water, God is purifying you. Then Jesus says, go take it out for everyone else to see. Go take it to Instagram, go take it to Facebook, go take it to every, and this is, I love this. John two verses nine, it says, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, Look, not knowing where it came from. Because most of the times, when people see your end result, when they finally taste the wine, they won't know where it came from. 
but the servants did. Because those closest to you will see behind the scenes of your faith growing. And how do you make, and, and then he says, oh my gosh, most people bring out the cheap wine. And what is cheap wine? It is when wine does not take time to mature. He says, you brought the, you saved the best for last. What's the process of wine, of great wine? It's the crushing. And many of you in this room have been through or are going to go through a crushing. Then there's the extraction. Then there's the fermentation process. The fermentation process is your faith. Faith is saying, I mean, humans are 70% water anyways. Faith is saying, I'm going to get into this purification process that God has me in. And on his divine timetable, he will turn me to wine. And when it's ready, I will be brought out to the party. And they're going to say, you saved the best for last. I will say this. Joseph, the dreamer, waited 13 years. Moses, 40. Abraham, 25. Jesus waited 30 years. If you're waiting, you're in good company. Because you're not waiting, your faith is being fermented. Amen. Thank you, Pastor John. Faith in the middle. Everybody say faith. Come on, say it like you mean it. Faith. Faith. That's right. Well, hey, I have to say that I believe that this is the very most wonderful time of the year. Some of you guys might say I actually prefer November and December, but I love this time of year. It is the only time of year that you will find me shopping in person. I'm on a hunt. I scour the shelves. I look around, and I'm on search. I am on mission for a calendar. I love calendars this time of year. Journals, sketchbooks, and calendars. Because the month of July for me is a month of preparation and prayer and preparing and prepping and stirring up faith and stirring up expectancy for a new school year. I love July. It is the most wonderful time of the year for me. And as I have been going into the season of searching for the very best calendar and sketchbook and journal and stacking them up and beginning to pray and prepare for this upcoming school year, God said something to me. He said, I want you to write down the things that are in your heart and on my heart. I want you to be stirred with expectancy. I want you to grow your faith, but I also want you to increase your surrender. And... I asked him to say it one more time because um, I was like, wait, what? Am, he said, I want you to grow your faith, but I want you to increase your surrender. And so I went back to the basics over the past months, and I said, God, show me again. What is this? What is faith? And he took me to Hebrews 11, which is the faith chapter. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and it says this. Faith means being sure of the things we hope for. And faith means knowing that something is real even if we don't see it. In Victory Kids, we teach our littlest ones when they're three all the way up until they leave to prepare them to go into the hands of our great youth pastors. We say faith means this. Even when I can't see it, I still believe it. We want them to know that they can build their life on something that they may not be able to see. And we teach them 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by what we believe, not by what we see. 
It's something that we want our littlest ones to know. But don't you know, this is a verse that we need to remind ourselves as we age. It is the very process of creation. The fundamental fact of existence is through this trust and faith. That what was created that we can see is created by something in which that we cannot see. We have faith that everything in his word is true. We have faith that these are his promises. We have faith in the character of God. And we have Hebrews chapter 11 who says in verse 2, it says that we get to remember those who had great faith and who are in the hall of faith. This chapter goes through by faith. Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham left his home and went somewhere where he did not know where he was going, but he knew who was with him. By faith, Moses and the Israelites crossed the Red Sea on dry land. By faith, Sarah had a baby. By faith, put your name there. You see, faith is important in this life for us. But what does faith and surrender look like? You know, when we, in kids, we say we give our big giant yes to Jesus, and then there's a million more yeses to follow. And when we become a part of God's family, and we say yes to a life with Jesus, there is an exchange that happens. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. He says, my ego is no longer central. The life you see me living is not mine. But it's lived by faith in the Son of God. And what he's saying is that I have removed myself from the driver's seat of this life. And I have said, God, you are in charge. Now, I have four kids. The youngest just turned 16. And if any of you have ever been in a car with a 15 and 16-year-old that's learning how to drive, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They have this little piece of paper. <laughs> and they say, scoot over, Mom. And you're like, okay. This is why they have two brakes in cars in driver school, right? Because as they're driving, the expert puts on the brake. Well, here's what happens. We say, God, this life that I'm living is not my own. I'm not in charge. And yet he's in the driver's seat, and we keep pushing on this brake. God says, hey, we're headed this way. I'm like, er, I was kind of thinking that way is better. God says, this is the plan. I say, er, I'm kind of thinking I had something different in mind. No, this life that I'm living is not my own. It's called surrender. It's called I'm giving up. I am yielding. But what God has been teaching me these last months is that, yes, I am giving up. I am yielding. But wow, I am receiving his peace and his joy. And it is only through great faith that I can have an increase of surrender. And when I increase my surrender, I grow my faith. It's this beautiful cycle that we get to be in. Amen. A few months ago, I got a phone call. I was in the middle of a Victory Kids service, and I looked down, and it was my dad, and my dad knows that I would be in church. And so I answered it and just said, you know, I went to the back, hey, Dad, you know, hey, what do you, what do you need? And he said, hey, we're having to take your mom to the hospital. So I finished things up in kids' service. We got all things Fix that I took off to the hospital, and um, have you guys ever been in a space in a place where someone's saying something, it just doesn't match up with the promise that you know you've been given? And that's where we were, and that's where we are. 
But in this life of growing faith, I'm standing on what I know to be true. I can't see it, but I believe it. I believe it. And I said, you know what? Whatever you're saying in this room is going to line up with this. I can't see it yet, but I believe it. It is faith. And God has told me, and he's been speaking to me about having great faith and surrender in these three, three areas. And the first one is in the posture of my heart. You know, we can get out of alignment really easily physically, but we can get out of alignment spiritually. And what I have found is that time in the word, time in prayer, putting worship music on, sitting at the feet of Jesus, it is the very best spiritual chiropractor appointment you can ever make because it's crazy what can happen when you go back to his word and things begin to shift back into alignment. And I can say, God, search my heart and where am I lacking in faith and need to grow in my surrender? And he so faithfully shows me. And the second thing is this. I need to grow my faith and increase my surrender in his plans. Are calendars bad? No. They help me keep track of where I'm supposed to be and who I'm supposed to be with. But God told me, I want you to open your Bible more than you open your calendar. I want you to trust me with my plans. Stop pushing on that second break and surrender your plans to me. Dream big. Have vision. Write things down. Look at sketchbooks. Look at your calendar. But surrender those plans to me because his way is the best way. And the last thing is this. He said, I want you to grow in faith, and I want you to increase your surrender of your people. I really love my people a lot. And I don't know about you, if any of you are parents, but the greatest lessons of surrender when you have kids. And sometimes I can say, God, you can have control of my life, but I would really like to remain in control of my people. And God says, I want you to grow in your faith and increase in your surrender. He loves them more than I do. His plans for your people and my people are better than what I could ever think, dream, or imagine because he's an Ephesians 3.20 God. So as we grow in our faith and increase in our surrender and increase in our surrender and grow in our faith, it is there where we find freedom. Amen? Amen. Come on, so good. How many of you are learning something on faith today? Growing and increasing in it. You know, I want to talk for a few minutes on faith for your call. You know, I believe that we all have a call of God on our life that is unique to us. And there's a person in the Bible that has a very unique call that uh, there's four chapters on, and it's in the book of Jonah. And when I was a teenager, there used to be this outdoor amphitheater that did a production called The Man Who Ran out in Disney, Oklahoma. Anyone ever go see that? It was back in the 90s. I see a few hands, 90s, early 2000s. And uh, it was this outdoor production, and it was all on the story of Jonah and how he ran from his calling that God had asked him to do. And it's so interesting, and, and you can read it later. It's four quick chapters, but I'll summarize it in this. Jonah basically gets this call that God asked him to go and deliver a message to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was a town that was living in sin, and God says, Jonah, I'm, you're my servant, and I want you to go and deliver my message. Jonah decides, not doing it, runs in fear, goes the opposite direction. It says the town he goes to is the opposite direction of Nineveh. 
in that place, finds himself in this ship and gets uh, in the middle of this storm. The captain and the crew throw him overboard. We know this story. A lot of times we hear it when we're in kids' church, we're younger, this giant fish or whale comes and swallows him up. Then three days later, spits him out on the sea. And finally, Jonah says, okay, God, I'll, I'll stop running from my call and I'll start running towards what you've asked me to do. And he goes and he delivers this message to Nineveh about their destruction and warning them of their sin. And it's amazing because at the end of this book, it talks about 120,000 people that their lives were saved because Jonah stopped running from his call and started running towards it. There's a lot of lessons from the story of Jonah, but I want to focus on the story of, or the lesson of faith in Jonah's call. And you know, a lot of times we think about what is a call of God? What is the call of God on our life? And something that I was looking and reading on Jonah this week, and it's interesting because we don't know anything about before this moment where God asked Jonah to go. We're assuming he's an adult at some point now, and we don't know anything after after this moment where he delivers that message and once the book of Jonah ends, we don't know anything after. But there's this season of Jonah's life that there's a specific assignment that God calls him to do. And I believe this, that when we look at the calling of God on our life, one way that we can define it is it's an assignment for a season. Everybody say assignment for a season. You know, I believe that a lot of times we get assignments from God for specific seasons that he's chosen for us to do. And not all the time will they impact 120,000 people and save a city, but sometimes that assignment is just for one person. And I think about there's a, a season of my life where right after I graduated college, I ended up moving overseas and um, I had just landed. I'm in the airport of this foreign country and I just moved there for a period of time and I'm standing in the airport. I've got my bags next to me. And I, I just didn't want to leave the airport. Fear started gripping me. It was the first time I'd really moved away that far from family. And I was on my own, didn't know anybody, no friends, no contacts in this foreign country. And I'm standing in the airport. And rather than moving forward and going away from the airport and to my apartment, I just found myself standing there for a long period of time. And I ended up making my way over to the departure board. And I'm looking up flights. And I see that there's a flight back to America that leaves in like two and a half hours. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want to be here. I want to run. I want to go back to where I came from. We just heard Pastor John say, back to a place that's comfortable. He was talking about not being in comfort. And I, I found myself standing there and I was thinking, man, I really want to hop on this flight. And the Holy Spirit was just reminding me, I'm with you. I've not brought you this far to abandon you, to leave you on your own. And even one of the names of God is Emmanuel, God with us. And I found myself leaving that airport finally, and I ended up staying for that period of time that I was there for that season. And as that season was coming to a close, I remember there was a couple days until I was finally leaving and coming back home. And um, I was working for this company there and this large corporation, and they threw this going away party. And I remember I'm standing there, and one of the coworkers that I'd gotten to know a little bit but hadn't got to interact with a ton over the course of the year, I remember he came up to me and he said, Daniel, one of the things I'm going to miss about you being here is, has nothing to do with the work that we were doing, but there was a peace that every day you came into this office, a peace came with you. And I can't describe it and I can't explain it, but I'm asking, what was that? And I remember in that moment, his name was Alex, and I got to share with Alex the gospel message of who Jesus is. And I remember thinking as I was flying home a couple days later, 
If I was here for anything, for any purpose, for any assignment, if it was just for one person, if it was just for Alex, it was worth not running from it and leaving before that assignment was supposed to be over. You know, a couple things that I want to just leave us with on faith to step in your calling is, number one, this, whatever God has called you to do, whatever assignment that he's placed for your season, you never do it alone. God is always with you. And just as he showed me in that moment and has shown me through every season of my life, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Number two is the outcome is God, God's. The obedience is ours. That takes the weight and pressure and responsibility off stepping into an assignment for a season, stepping into the call of God in our life. If we think the outcome is all on us, we're pressing, we're pushing hard for it. But that's not the weight that God's called us to do. He's called us to walk in obedience and in partnership with heaven and watch as he fulfills the assignment through us. And number three is this. It will always be bigger than just us. It'll have people attached to it. When God gives you an assignment and a season, it'll be more than just for you. It'll be more than just for your family or your spouse. It'll be more than just you as an individual. It'll have people attached to it. And I close with this. There's a famous story from a long time ago about uh, an older gentleman was walking along this beach, and as he's walking this beach on an early morning, it's foggy, and there was a big storm that had just come through that night before. And it had blown all these thousands of starfish from the ocean up onto this sandy beach. And as he's walking the beach that morning, he sees in the distance that there's somebody approaching him and walking from the opposite direction towards him. And every now and then he sees this person pause and then start to walk again, and then a little bit later, pause, and then start to walk again. And as he got closer to this person, he saw it was a little boy. And this little boy was, his pausing was bending down and picking up a starfish off the beach and throwing it back into the ocean. Finally, when this older gentleman got close enough to ask this boy what he was doing, he said, why, why are you doing this? What are you, what are you doing? And he picks up a starfish and throws it into the ocean, and he said, I'm saving their life. They won't survive on the beach. They're meant to live in the ocean. And this older gentleman looks down this shoreline and sees thousands of starfish. And he says, how in the world are you going to try to save them all? The little boy picks up one more, throws it as far as he can into the ocean. And he says, I can save that one right there. You know, sometimes when we look at a call, when we look at God's assignment on our life, we can try to think too far down the road. We can think generations down the road. How will this make an impact? When in simplicity, our job is just to obey what God's called us to do in the impact of the one person, the one assignment, our one yes, will have that ripple effect for generations to come. I believe this, that as we step into our call, that as we step into the assignment for our season, God will help us in every way, and there will be generations of impact that we will never see, but in our obedience in that moment, God will do the rest. So have faith for your call. Amen. Amen. What a powerful word. Come on, are you receiving something today? I got a tough assignment following all four of those, but we're going to close out with this one. And we're talking about lessons of faith. And if we're going to talk about faith, I always like to talk about Abraham, the father of our faith. If you got your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, we're going to read verses 16 through about 21. Verse 16 says, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise, say the promise. promise. This promise that he's talking about, Abraham had several promises, but God had promised that he and Sarah were going to have a baby. 
And it hadn't happened for a lot of years, but they had a promise. Come on, how many are believing for a promise of God? Now, if your hand's not up, you might as well get it up because time's going to pass. We need to be believing for something. So there's promises in this word, and there's promises in this word for each and every one of us. And we need to lock in and believe. And so this promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of him, God, who he, Abraham, believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now, right there is a famous passage of Scripture, and we quote this one a lot. And how many of you know we're supposed to be confessing things, and we're supposed to call those things that are not as though they were? But I want you to look at this in the context that it's written, because this is God, and God is speaking something over Abraham that didn't exist. Oh, come on. He is calling things over you. He's speaking things over you that are nowhere close in the natural to come into pass. But God's speaking them over you, and it's up to us to believe and to walk into that. Just like Daniel said, the, the results are up to God. The obedience is my part. God's speaking and calling things about you that aren't even close to being present yet. But you got to believe. God is speaking things over In fact, God spoke something very powerful over him. He changed his name. His name was Abram, but God changed his name to Abraham because this guy had no children, but God kept saying over him, you're the father of many nations. You're the father of many nations. And I'm talking to someone in here. You've got a promise, and everything doesn't look, there's nothing that looks like it's going to come to pass, but God's still speaking it over you. He's still speaking it over you. Verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope believe. Now, this is very interesting because we're getting ready to read this, but the promise of God was that he was to have a baby, but Abraham's 100 years old, and Sarah's 90, and her womb is dead. So he's past the reproductive phase. She, her womb was dead. She couldn't have a baby at 16. But God says, hey, this is going to come to pass. There was no reason to hope in the natural. Oh, I'm talking to some people. You may not have any reason to hope in the natural, but as a supernatural hope, you started got to believe. Hope in the world is this. I cross my fingers and I hope that comes to pass. And what that means is, I would really like that to happen, but I'm not sure it's going to. How many of you know that's not faith? Faith is a confident expectation. In fact, hope in the Bible means a confident expectation that God, what God said he will do, he will do it. So he had no reason in the natural to believe, but in a supernatural belief in what God said, he said, I'm going to choose to believe even though. Oh, come on. You might have, not have any reason to expect, but you need to expect anyway. You might not have any reason to succeed, but you're going to succeed anyway. You might not have any hope to live, but you're going to live anyway. There may be no way in the natural that you're going to come out of this financial situation, but you're going to come out of it anyway. You may not have any reason to believe in the natural, but he says, I believe in you, and if I said it, it's going to come to pass. There's an old Sunday school song that I used to sing, and it was very simple. And you know what? The older I get, the more I need to lock into this. If God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. 
And that's where I've got to stay. Verse 19, he says, and not being weak in faith. How I many you know it's going to take strong faith? Because there's things in the middle that, that John talked about. The middle is the hard part. And a lot of times we need to keep going even when we want to quit. And it's going to take great faith to do that. And a lot of you, your heart just sunk because you said, Pastor Ty, I don't have great faith. Hey, I got a good word for you. The word already says, in fact, Pastor Amy quoted it, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In fact, you, as you've been sitting here, your faith has been growing because you've been under the word. And so your faith is bigger than it was when you came in. Oh, that's a great place to shout amen right there. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Here's my lesson in faith that God's really been working on me on, and I'm not perfect at it yet, but every day I'm endeavoring to get better and better. And it's this phrase, he did not consider. Say, he did not consider. He did not consider. He did not consider. And, and the word of God's true. If it said he didn't consider, he didn't consider. And what did he not consider? He didn't consider that he was already past the age. He didn't consider that she was past the age. He didn't look at natural circumstances and let them dictate what he was going to believe in. He didn't care what he saw, what he heard, what he experienced. He was going to stand on the word of God. I'm talking to people in here that you've been pulled and you've been overwhelmed by things you're seeing and experiencing. And a lot of times those are real things, but you got to come to the place. It doesn't matter what I see. It doesn't matter what I hear. It doesn't matter what I experience. I'm going to stand on the word of God. My wife says this all the time, and I, she taught me this a long time ago. If you can see it, you can hear it, or you can feel it, it's subject to change. But the word of God never changes. Some of you are about to quit on some things, just like Daniel was talking about. You're trying to quit on some things because it's getting tough. But God's sending you a word today and say, hey, it doesn't matter what's happening now. You just choose to believe me. I'm going to bring you through it. I am that Emmanuel, the God with you. I'm going to bring you through this circumstance. You just choose to believe. He did not consider. You know what? This is Satan's biggest tactic. He's been doing it since day one. He tries to get you to consider more than what God says. It happened to Eve in the garden. He came to Eve, and what did he say? Did God really say? He was trying to make her consider something else than what God said. They already had the word from God, but he starts to introduce something else. I'm talking to someone in here because you've got a word from God, but your brain has been actively trying to figure out all these things out, and you've been trying to do it on your own. You've been trying to do it with other people, and you've got to shut that off and not consider anything else and stay in faith on what God said. Peter walking on the water. How many remember that? He was in the boat, and he called out, Hey, Master, if it is you, bid me to come. And what did Jesus say? Come on, shout it out. Come, he said one word that empowered Peter to do something that was impossible in the natural. He swung his leg out over that boat, and he is walking on water. He's walking on war, a word from God that empowers him to do what's not naturally possible to do. But what happened? He began to consider other things. Did you see that wave? Did you feel that wind? And all of a sudden, his considering of other things made him begin to sink. 
Satan always tries to get us to consider other things than what God's saying. And I told you, I'm working on this. I'm not perfect at it yet. But what if we get to the point where we take God at his word and we don't consider anything else? What if Adam and Eve would have been in the garden and, he, and Satan comes up? Did God really say? What if Eve would have said, yes, he did, and I ain't considering anything else? It did God, yes, he did, and I'm not going to consider anything else. You know, a lot of times we have people around us, and they're not meaning ill against it, but they, they start talking a lot of other stuff. And sometimes we're going to have to shut that off and say, you know what? I love you, but I've got to stay focused on this word. He did not consider it. Verse 20, he did not waver. Say waver. In the Greek, that's the word diakrino. It's also translated as doubt. And what happens when we start to believe, if we are wavering, it means, well, I believe that, but I'm considering something else. He did not waver. Even though he had a lot of natural reasons, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. Come on, we, Pastor John gave a word a while ago. Those that wait on the Lord, their, renewed, their strength shall be renewed. He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced. Come on, say fully convinced. That means I'm not persuaded any other way. I'm fully convinced that what he, God, had promised, he was also able to perform it. We have a great example of faith. But Abraham had to do something that we're going to have to learn to do also. He did not consider anything else except what God said. He might say, well, Pastor Ty, that's not just being realistic. Well, the flow, man, I love that word. We got to flip the flow. The flow of the world is, man, we got to analyze and we got to do all these things. No, we're going to flip the flow. And if God said it, I believe it. And come on, shout it. That settles it. I believe there's a lot of people here today that you're in some situations, maybe financial, maybe it's in health. You need healing in your body. And you're facing a, a, a trial, you're facing a situation. It may even be impossible. In fact, you might have got a report like Pastor Amy got a report that does not line up with this and it looks like it's gonna be fatal. Well, I've got a report that trumps every other report. And it's right here. The word says, whose report are you going to believe? As for me and my heart, we're going to believe the report of the Lord. And maybe you're facing those things. And your faith is getting a little bit weary. I believe God sent five people here today to encourage and strengthen your faith. To say, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't run from that call. Don't quit in the middle. Push through. Access Jesus and his power that's right here today. But you're going to have to take a step of faith. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you're going through a test, you're going through a trial, you're going through a tough situation. I'm not making light of that. I know it's real and I know it could be big. But God's word is stronger. His word's mightier. If you're facing one of those situations, you say, oh, Pastor, my faith has been a little bit watered down, a little bit weak, and I need to stand back up in faith. If I'm talking to you, just raise your hand right where you're at. Hands going up everywhere. 
good Christians raising their hands. That's all right. Hey, we all need this. Hands still going up. There's some of you that the situations, my wife and I have been going through some little things, but they just piled up one after another, after another. And sometimes you're like, God, what's going on? But you know what? I'm not going to worry about what's going on in the natural. He's still with me. And I'm talking to some people up there that you're going through some tests. You're going through some trials. But God says, stand firm on my word. I'm, gonna, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. This word's for you. And as Daniel was, Pastor Daniel was sharing, I felt this so strong. There's someone that's trying to quit. You're, you're, it's like you're looking at that departure board and you're saying, I, I can't do this anymore. I've got to get out of here. And you're about to quit on a call. And you know what? A call is not just speaking from the pulpit. A call could be in the business world. It could be a housewife. It could be a school teacher. It's your call, and that's important in the body of Christ. But you're standing at the departure board looking to check out and quit. If that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand and say, you know what? That's been me. Yeah, hands going up. Lots of hands going up. And the Holy Spirit just said, there's one that's even more important than a quit on the call. That you're about to quit on life. I believe this is for someone in the room, but also someone that's watching online. And the circumstances are so big and so heavy, you're wanting to quit and give up on life. And if we did just one thing today, if God sent a word to you to tell you, don't quit, don't give up, don't take your life, it's worth it. Because we need you. And I want everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes because this one's a little sensitive. But if that one's you and you've been wanting to quit on life, I want you to raise your hand right where you're at. We're going to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Okay, I see hands going up. You can put them right back down. Thank you, Lord. And the last one is this. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus. That's where all of this stems from is that we've made him Lord of our life. Now we can truly grow and walk in faith. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus or you did it one time, but you've walked away. Today's your day to say, you know what? I'm going to step into this life of faith. If that's you, right where you sit, I want you to raise your hand. If you're watching online, you can raise your hand there in the chat area too. If that's you, raise your hand high. I want to see it. We're going to pray for you. Yeah, I see that one back there. I see that one over there. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Come on, raise them high over here if that's you. All right, I see it. Hey, let's all stand to our feet. Hey, there's one thing with faith. James tells us faith without a corresponding action is actually dead. So I'm going to ask you to do something that may not be comfortable, but I want you to step in faith and step into an action. And if you raised your hand on any of those or you know you should have raised your hand, I want you to get out of your seats. I want you to come to the front. We got pastors that are up here. We're going to stand and pray with you. We're going to believe with you. Come on, give it up to them as they're coming. Yeah, coming from everyone, every section. Come on, come on up. They're still coming. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. We're getting ready to go back and worship and we're gonna pray with you. All of the team and our team pastors are down here. We're gonna come by and we're gonna pray with you.
but I want you to be resolute on your spirit on the inside that I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to stand in faith. I'm not going to consider anything else. I'm not going to quit in the hard times. Go ahead and lead us there. Even when I don't see it, you work. And even when I don't feel it, you work. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. And even when I don't see it, you work. And even when I don't feel it, you work. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, even when, and even when I don't see it, you work.
going to come through for you in Jesus' name. And I want everyone in the room to pray this with us. We had several that raised their hand to give their life to Jesus and some that maybe were watching online. Let's pray this together. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the son of God, that you came to earth to die for my sins. I believe you were buried in the grave and that God raised you from the dead. And I believe in you and I make you now Lord of my life. And I receive you now as my savior. Now fill me with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Now if you pray that you are born again, hallelujah.